This episode brought to you by Audible, your audio book source with over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And today you can receive a free audiobook and 30-day free trial by visiting audibletrial.com slash richtakeonsports. So don't wait. That's audibletrial.com slash richtakeonsports for your free audiobook and 30-day free trial. Listen to your audiobook anywhere, anytime. Taking sports to another level. Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Exploring the latest headlines and going behind the scenes with in-depth interviews. Hearing personal stories and the impact of sports in their lives. Here's your host, Richmond Weaver. What time is it? This is episode 33. I am your host, Richmond Weaver, and glad you're listening through whatever format that might be. And thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen. Now, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that I'm a huge fan of basketball and especially college basketball. I coached for three years at the Division I level, so I'm always excited when we get to talk with other basketball people. And that's exactly what we get to do in this episode. And that's with Dave Odom, former head coach at Wake Forest University and the University of South Carolina. And if you've missed any of the other episodes where we get to talk with basketball people, you can find those on our website, richtakeonsports.com. And some of those guests include Cliff Ellis, former Clemson and Auburn head coach and now the head coach at Coastal Carolina, former NBA player Brendan Haywood, Brad Brunell, current head coach at Clemson, Pat Duquette, head coach at UMass Lowell, or of course the guru of college basketball, that's ESPN's college basketball analyst, Jay Billis. And of course, you can stay connected with us via Twitter by following us at Rich Take Sports, or you can always reach out via email and sending a message to us, richmond at richtakeonsports.com. So now let's move to the Rich Spotlight. Shining brightly to share the stories of people in sports. This is the Rich Spotlight. Dave Odom is our guest this episode, and if you know ACC college basketball, then you know the name Dave Odom. Coach Odom coached the Demon Deacons from 1989 to 2001, winning two ACC conference championships while also winning an NIT championship in 2000. And he also appeared in seven NCAA tournaments with the Demon Deacons. From there, he headed to Columbia, South Carolina, and was the head coach for the University of South Carolina from 2001 to 2000. 2008, where he helped lead the Gamecocks to two NIT championships in 2005 and 2006. Now, many will remember that Coach Odom also recruited Tim Duncan to Wake Forest. And this was before the one-and-done rule that started in 2005. And just recently, the NBA commissioner, Adam Silver, indicated that it's probably time to reevaluate this one-and-done rule, which requires a basketball player to be removed from a high school one year before they're eligible for the NBA draft. So I wanted to know, from Coach Odom's perspective, how has the one-and-done rule changed college basketball and recruiting today? Well, I think it's uh, changed in a number of ways. Uh, most, uh, I think, two, that, 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 uh, two ways that you, you would first come to mind would be uh, I think it's 
it's been a little bit unfair to the kids. People think it's fair. I think it's unfair. I think it encourages them to grow up from a basketball standpoint and a maturity standpoint faster uh, than is uh, has been good for them over the years. Um, I don't know how many, I don't know what the numbers say in terms of uh, the number of kids that go after one year of college basketball, uh, but I would say 70% of them never see the NBA other than on TV. Uh, they just they're just not that good, and for them to go to college for one year and jump to um, the draft and maybe be drafted, maybe not, uh, I think is I think we're doing a disservice to them, and I would certainly hope that the NBA. Uh, the NBA Players uh, Union, the NCAA uh, would all come together and say, let's really start thinking about what's right for the kids. Now, uh, and as you know, when you get into financial matters and all that, then, you know, if it's totally a financial matter, then they got to go, they got to make the money, they got to help their families. I'm not arguing about that. But from a basketball standpoint, um, they're not ready. Uh, by and large, the kids just simply are not ready. And then the thing that I say is true, and nobody ever talks about this, is those kids basically that are one and done are, say, let's say 19 years of age. And at 19 years of age, they are th- being thrown uh, on, onto a, an NBA team or a CBA team or an NDBL team. And the average age on those teams usually are in the neighborhood of 27 to 28 years of age. Now, you tell me a 28-year-old who wants to hang out with a 19-year-old, and there's a lot of time, travel time, dead time on the road, and those kids are just uh, maturity-wise not ready for that kind of lifestyle. Uh, There's too much money involved. There's too many uh, illicit people out there. Uh, There's too much of a dark side out there. Those kids at 19 uh, are put into that situation. They're not ready to handle it. I feel bad for them. And then the last thing is, you know, they – from an educational standpoint, I would like to see them go at least two years, get two years of college under their belt, uh, let them go into the NBA at that time. If it doesn't work out, they've got enough of their college degree out of the way, two years, that they can go back and finish up uh, college uh, in another two years and, and be ready for life. Now, do you think the D-League, or let me say it correctly now, the G-League, since it's partnership with Gatorade, do you think it could truly become a farm system like baseball has, and will that work? Uh, Yeah, I think it could, but I don't know what's wrong with the college system. I mean, you've got great coaches in college, and uh, you've got kids learning from guys, and I mean, you you can point out uh, player after player who went at least two years, Michael Jordan, Mike, uh, uh, Larry Bird, uh, uh, Magic Johnson, uh, our own Tim Duncan. Uh, you know, th- those guys all went to college at least two years, some of them four. And uh, I don't know what, uh, what was wrong with them when they came out. Um, I mean, why would you need another system? You could have one, but I, I think the college – uh, program for years has really served as a uh, kind of a rallying point for fans uh, for their universities, but also a place for uh, kids to 
uh, go to college, appreciate education, and at the same time, uh, develop their basketball skills. Now, speaking of your own involvement in sports, why did you fall in love with sports growing up? Well, I was, you know, I grew up in a small town, eastern North Carolina, Goldsboro, and it was a one school town. And, um, you know, by necessity, uh, uh, those of us that that love sports, we played them all in season. Uh, We didn't specialize uh, as they do today. But uh, whether it was uh, football, basketball, baseball, according to season, we also played things like um, tennis and we swam and all of it competitively. And uh, that's what I knew growing up. Uh, That was my outlet. That was what I did best. And um, I just it was never a question in my mind that the thing I wanted to do was to stay in athletics all my life. I was probably a dreamer like a lot of kids are, uh, uh, unrealistically so, but I had a mom and a dad who said, hey, uh, you're not going to ever make the pros, so uh, you better be the best you can be in college, uh, get your degree, go to work. I did, and it turned out to be uh, on the sports uh, or athletics uh, side of, of life, and I became a coach, and there was never any doubt in my mind that was what I was going to do. Yeah, so when did you realize that you wanted to be a coach, and then specifically in basketball, because you were also a decorated football athlete as well, so why not football? Well, uh, the, the, the quick answer to that is I could have easily gone into football and uh, or baseball, either one, uh, but my first head coaching break uh, uh, was in high school on the basketball side, so I grabbed that and then became a uh, you know I was I still assisted in football and assisted in ba- baseball all the way through my uh, high school career. But uh, I spent 11 years as a head coach in basketball, and so there, therefore that's why I fell into being known as a basketball coach. But in all honesty, I, 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 <clears throat> I enjoyed football and baseball as well as I did basketball. My first break just came in the game of basketball. Now, how did you get your first break into college coaching? I was working back in the day um, a camp called Five Star Basketball Camp, which was the best teaching camp and comp- competitor camp. Uh, in America, and I was the first Southern coach to to work that camp, and it was up in uh, well, it was in two sites. One was um, in in Honesdale, uh, Pennsylvania, and up in the Catskill Mountains, and the other was in Wheeling, West Virginia. And um, I guess you know uh, that was back in the day when you had the best players in the country come to that camp: Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Ralph Sampson. I mean, they all came to the camp, and um, uh, with them came hordes of college coaches looking for talent to recruit. And they also saw some of the teaching that was going on. And I was lucky enough to uh, have been noticed by a few of the head coaches and. Um, I got um, an offer. My first offer came from Tar- Carl Tacey, who at that time was the Carl, uh, the head basketball coach at Wake Forest, and uh, he offered me a job, and uh, the rest is history. Now, how was that feeling when you got your first head coaching job at East Carolina? 
Well, I was thrilled to do, uh, thrilled to death. I think I was 36, 37 years of age, and uh, so that was early for a head coaching job, and I enjoyed that those formative years. I'll be honest with you, I never had a bad job. I, <clears throat> every place I went, um, I enjoyed the people, I enjoyed the challenge, I enjoyed uh, the, the university, I enjoyed uh, you know being the coach at that particular school. East Carolina was no no different. It was my first start, and uh, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought we got some great things done there. Uh, we got them into a league, the Colonial League, and that was a great start for East Carolina Division One ba- basketball. Now, why did you take a uh... I shouldn't say it's a step back, but just from a perspective of head coach back to an assistant coach, why did you take the step from head coach at East Carolina to an assistant at University of Virginia with Terry Holland? Well, in some ways it was a step back, but it was one that was that was uh, calculated on my part. Uh, quite simply, I missed the ACC. I'd been in it as uh, an assistant at Wake Forest, and I missed that. Uh, and I was sitting in my office in East Carolina one day. It was summertime, and phone rang, and uh, this voice on the other end uh, said, um, "I've got a scholarship for you here at Wake Forest at, uh, at the University of Virginia. I want you to come." And I recognized Terry Holland. Uh, he, he tried to disguise his voice, but I recognized his voice, and I just said, "I'll take it." And he said, "Well, meet me tomorrow and, <laughs> uh, up in Halifax, Virginia." And uh, we'll talk about it. And we did. That's how quickly it happened. And um, it was just, I missed the ACC. And um, Terry and I had been good friends all the way back to high school. And, uh, gosh, they were number one team in the country coming back. It was hard not to uh, be a part of that. So um, I just felt that was the right move for me and my family at that time. Now, was it a uh, difficult transition going from head coach where you're running the program and now you're not necessarily running the program at Virginia? No, 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 because uh, I had so much respect for Terry as a head coach and as a person, and I I think I fit in well with the staff. Jim Laranaga was on the staff at that time, and Jeff Jones and Craig Littlepage. and I mean, I just fit in, or they allowed me to fit in, uh, so easily, and no, it was it was an easy trans, uh, transfer for me. Now, you had mentioned the five-star basketball camp. What were some of those early days like at those camps? Because that was the elite camp, and there wasn't all of these, you know, different events and camps that you see now. So, what was that like uh, being it, able to? Listen, it was teaching, 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 and games where they played uh, two games a day. But they they had opportunities to be taught all day long, and uh, it wasn't a matter of whether they wanted to do it. If they came to that camp, they were going to get it, and it was a very structured camp, very disciplined camp, uh, high level talent, um, and higher level teaching. I mean, you you saw the best of the best. You saw uh, Chuck Daly. You saw Hubie Brown, Bobby Knight. All of these guys were teachers at that camp. Um, you saw Rick Patino, Michael Fratello, Pete Gillen, um, uh, and the list just goes on. I could just on and on and on and on. Uh, Billy Donovan, uh, guys like that all came through that camp. Um, but the players were unbelievable. I mean, uh, you know, from Jordan to uh, uh, to Sampson to um, Isaiah Thomas. 
uh, you know, just it was just one person after the other, one great player after the other. But they were all treated the same, and they were all expected to go to stations, and it was basketball, 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 18 hours a day. As a coach for a little bit, I'd always heard about you know those type of camps, and I'm jealous that I never got to attend those type of things. I did get to attend the ABCD camp for a few years, uh, but I would have loved to seen all those type of legends at the Five Star Camp. Now, what about the next move for you to head coach at Wake Forest? Was that something that you were seeking out, or how did that come about? No, like everything else in my life, you know, if you work hard. Uh, openings will come, and you're, you know it's just a matter of whether you uh, take advantage of them or not. But no, uh, it was nothing like that. I just got a call from the AD at Wake Forest one day and said that Coach Tacey decided to step aside, and would I be interested in coming back as head coach? And I said I'll have to talk to Coach Holland about it. I did. He said you definitely go to, you definitely should go down and talk to him. I did, and two days later he offered me the job. So, I mean, it was it was just something that. Uh, I had no idea what was going to happen. I wouldn't go Stacy stepped aside. Excuse me. It was Bob Stack who had stepped aside at that time, and um, you know the opportunity just came, and and um, it, it seemed again it seemed right for me, and uh, came back there. We had uh, that first year. Uh, we made a, a lot of made up a lot of ground in that first year. Didn't make a tournament. But every year after that, we did 11. Uh, I was there 12 years, so the next 11 years, uh, we made uh, the NCAA or the NIT uh, tournament, and things turned around, and, and uh, Wake Forest has been, for the most part, pretty good ever since. Yeah, you definitely helped lay the, the foundation. And I know you had mentioned that you had the appeal of the ACC to go to Virginia. So why leave Wake Forest and go to South Carolina? Well, uh, you know, seven, eight years is about as long as most coaches last at their position. I've been there 12. And I don't know, you just get a little bit, uh, not bored is not the right word, but, you, you know, you're, you're, you're the same coach. You have the same mannerisms. Um, you, you look behind the bench and the same people are sitting there. And you just sometimes if you want to keep coaching, you just need a change. I'd always look at South Carolina as being um, – less than they should be and I just uh, I got a call uh, from Mike McGee the athletic director at that time and he offered me a chance to come down there and I felt like that was kind of the lantern uh, university in the state and um, I wasn't crazy about the SEC deal but um, I felt like we could uh, we could move uh, the program forward we uh, you know I never did get the program where I, I thought it should have been um, but we did we did really do some good things. Won two SC, uh, two NIT championships there, and got to the finals of the SEC tournament once. So we did some good things. But um, I left South Carolina after seven or eight years, and just felt like maybe we didn't do everything we should have done. But um, nonetheless, again, as you could see from last year's tournament um things were in good shape when i left and they were able to take it to the next level which made me feel good i can imagine now you mentioned the sec deal what did you not like about the sec um i you know i i liked football but it was too much of a landslide from the football standpoint i mean the um the way the the athletic calendar is today 
you know, conferences like the SEC don't even think about basketball till the middle of January. And, and then there's only six weeks left before conference tournament, and then it's over. And it just in, in the ACC, you know, they, they start thinking about basketball December 1st. So it's an added six weeks to it. And, um, but in, in the SEC, you go to games in December, and there's half-full arenas. You just can't get them thinking about basketball until the football is over. Now, knowing the life of a basketball coach or a college basketball coach, did you ever discourage or encourage your sons to get into coaching? I was surprised both of them decided to get into uh, basketball. I, I really was, uh, particularly my younger son, Ryan. I feel, you know, he went to Hampton, Sydney, a great all-male school there in in, um, in Virginia. And um, he had a business degree and he made really good grades, and he was very finance conscious. Uh, but one night, and I just thought he was going to go on and uh, make a bunch of money in the financial world, but he came in one night and said he wanted to coach, about knocked me over. Um, Lane, on the other hand, uh, had always kind of stayed close to basketball, so I really wasn't surprised with him. And what type of advice did you give both of them in terms of coaching advice? Well, I mean, they they, they both uh, looked at me and, you know, I asked them, well, why would you want to coach? And they said, well, it looks like you're doing pretty good, you know. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, you got an air travel card, you got a credit card for gas, you got a, uh, a car provided for you, uh, free, and you do all these things. I said, so you guys want my job? You know, you don't want to go to high school and sweep the floors and, uh, you know, wash the towels and all those kind of things. Oh, no, 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 we'll do that. Well, they never did. They both went right to college, you know. So uh, I think that's one of the uh, problems with youth today. They want to – just like just like players want the NBA before they're ready – you know, uh, young coaches, they want to be head coaches before they're ready. Uh, in Ryan's case, uh, it has turned out very well. He's he's a really good coach, and he's taking his time, and he likes uh, – he's at Maryland, uh, Baltimore County now, UMBC, and he's doing really well. That program's turned around, and he's looking for another good season. Lane, on the other hand, uh, has his own business in basketball, and he's doing uh, quite well as well. So it's worked out well for both of them. What did that mean to you being named in 2016 to the legends of the ACC? Well, uh, the ACC, for uh, by anybody's uh, measure, is the top uh, conference in America. And uh, to be uh, associated and named uh, to be a legend in that league uh, speaks volumes about uh, what your peers think of you and the media. And I always tried to get along with the media, and I think I did. I always tried to get along with my peers. I think I did, uh, the administrators and everything. And, you know, so uh, to me and my family, and I, I really include my family in that honor because they help you get to where you're going by being so patient and so um, encouraging to you as you're going along. Uh, it meant a world to me. It really did. Now, so what has sports meant to you in your life, Coach Odom? 
Well, my mother, I go back to my days as my, my dad was a Pontiac Cadillac dealer growing up. And I think he kind of wanted, well, I know he did. He wanted me to take over that business. And the greatest favor I ever did him was not do that <laughs> because I, I'm afraid the business would have gone broke quickly because I don't know anything about finances, <laughs> finances, nor do I care anything about it. My mother, on the other hand, intervened and said, um, to my dad, let him go, let him do what he needs to do, let him know what he he's best at, let him do that. She, um, uh, he did, she did, they both encouraged me. And, um, you know, to be able to do successfully and happily the thing that you want to do, the thing that you, you know, that, that motivates you and enjoy that, uh, that's what life's all about, and uh, I've been allowed to do that. I've been very, very fortunate. I've had a, a great family growing up, and I've had a great uh, marital family, my, my own family, that has supported me all the way through. That's great. So wrapping up here, Coach Odom, um, I always ask this of our guest: any words of wisdom that you would like to share, mottos, phrases, quotes, or just advice that you'd like to share with the listeners? I'm not a big sage provider here, but, um, you know, I think the people that are most successful are the people that uh, enjoy themselves along the way. They don't try to do too much too soon. Uh, They take each year as it comes, each day as it comes, they make the most of it. Um, They, they, um, they, 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 um, understand that they are never too young or never too old to learn from people and things around them. Seek out people who are good mentors, who have done things the right way, uh, follow their lead, uh, even if you just quietly take uh, the examples they lead for you and and, uh, go to school on them and put them in your own life. But don't be in too big a hurry uh, to, to do things. Let things happen naturally. Enjoy yourself, enjoy your family, and keep a really good balance in life. And I think you'll be always be happy and be successful. Excellent words of wisdom there, sir. And are you going to continue on the TV side as a color commentary for ACC Network? I'll do that uh, as long as they want me and as long as I feel like I'm doing a good job. And uh, so that translates to it'll be a year year by year decision. Okay. And are you enjoying the TV side? Yeah, I enjoy it. It's not coaching, but it's uh, I do enjoy it. Okay, and you miss coaching, I presume? I miss the games. I miss the game preparation. I miss the relationships with the players and the staff. Um, I miss watching them grow and being part of their lives. I don't miss the recruiting, and I don't miss uh, a lot of the fundraising and all that went with it. I understand. Well, Coach Odom, thank you so much for your time. I greatly appreciate it, and I look forward to uh, seeing you on the ACC Network. Thank you very much for the opportunity to visit with you and your fans. I think it's pretty evident that Coach Odom is a no-nonsense type of guy who's blue-collar type of guy and willing to put in the hard work to achieve success. And there's also no doubt that he firmly believes that true success is only achieved through this hard work, and you can't just expect things to happen without hard work. You have to put the time into it, and you can't just expect results without putting in the hard work and the time. Now, he also understands the importance of having 
having a great support network, as he mentioned, with his family and the other people in his life that helped him achieve his goals. And I know he was someone that I admired when I was trying to climb the ranks in coaching. And I've been fortunate enough to hear him speak at basketball clinics. And I know it might be cliche, but there's no question about it that he's got a basketball mind. I always loved hearing him talk X's and O's, but I think he knows a thing or two about life as well. All right, let's finish this episode with the weekly words of wisdom. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Keeping encouragement and motivation rich. Let's explore the weekly words of wisdom. This week, we'll turn our attention to another University of South Carolina coach, but just in another sport, and that's Lou Holtz, who, of course, also won a national championship as head coach for the Fighting Irish at the University of Notre Dame. Now, Coach Holtz helps define three important components of success and the mindset needed for that success in more than just sports. This is about life as well. And his quote is, ability is what you're capable of doing. Motivation determines what you do, and attitude determines how well you do it. So all three, ability, motivation, and attitude, are tightly connected. And of course, there are times that you might be able to succeed at something, even if one of the three is lacking on that particular day or that particular moment or that particular time. But if you truly want to achieve sustained success or sustained excellence, then all three must be aligned and they must stay aligned in order to achieve that sustained success and excellence. And, you know, that sustained excellence, that's something that I've referred to in the past. And it's really something that I learned and that one of our guests in episode 16, Ryan Hawk shared with us, and Ryan Hawk, again, is the former college quarterback and brother of A.J. Hawk, and also the creator and host of the podcast, The Learning Leader Show, which is a podcast that I highly encourage all of you to listen to at some point, and you'll truly understand that true leaders, they are always on a journey to continuing learning, and that's one of the key components of having this sustained excellence. Now, that's the end of episode 33. And remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening. 